You're listening to Spawn on Me on ESN.FM. to the Spawn of Me podcast. This is your host, Khalif Adams. This is episode 79 of our show. I'm joined this week and every week with my man, my mellow, the man with the size 15 shoe that he throws like a boomerang that goes one way and never comes back. Cicero Holmes, how are you, sir? Fee-fi-fo-fum. My feet are big. Come get you some. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Wow! I, I don't. I don't. I, thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. That was a great show. I don't think we have to say anything else for the rest of this episode. I think you won the interview. Thank you. I'm back. Yes, yes. You were missed, man. You were definitely missed. Yeah, it was, man. It was it was fun to do the show, but it was not as much fun without you there. It never is. It never is. Um, you know. But uh, man, what a what a great episode that you guys had, though. Um, you know, and I, I have to also say that you were missed on the Steve Lubitz episode. Uh, I'm this, sad you know, about that. Reef, that was Reef, a great show. Reef and I held it down. Um, Reef and Steve are Nintendonians, and uh, <laughs> and they and they really they really tried to show me the light. Um, but yeah, you were missed then, um, and I'm you know I'm glad that I was missed. But but what what a fantastic show that you had with Tanya to pass, and. Uh, the natural sports gamer <laughs> online um, sports game SGO is is really great and and just just the fact that they have been around in in less time than I need diverse games and the fact that they were able to garner enough attention that they've they were able to bring you know potentially nine people to e3 was amazing um, amazing amazing work that they're doing over at SGO and obviously uh, Tanya is everywhere. She is ubiquitous. She owns the <laughs> internet. I love her to death. Um, and uh, just so you guys know, my Metal Gear Solid name is Ice Crocodile. <laughs> I, is it really? Yeah, is, it is, that, is. is that what you got out of the it, generator? It, it, yeah, it is. It's it's kind of whack, yo. But uh, it is not. What was it? Thunder Anaconda. I mean, so Curtis, Curtis Knight, aka Thunder and Anaconda, <laughs> yeah. who 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 I will now reference just as Thunder Anaconda, Thunder Anaconda for the rest of his yes. life. Yeah. Uh, he 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 was great. Uh, it was it, again, SGO was doing really big things. It's yeah. nice to see um, a, a new kind of upstart site doing really well in yeah. this space. It is kind of tight, so it's it's nice to see uh, them doing some some dope stuff. Absolutely. Um, Mahogany, mahogany darkness mahogany will, will darkness. make his way into MGO whenever I see that actually re- get released next year. <laughs> so <clears throat> get ready, get ready, people. You will be knocked out and put to sleep by mahogany darkness. Um. So again, thank you everybody to listening for listening to that show. The feedback from that was really great. Uh, we have some uh, iTunes reviews that we have to read at some point. We'll probably do that either. Uh, ne- we'll do that next show. We'll do that next show. We had a, we had a couple of new ones that popped up into the Word. feed, so that was dope. really dope. So please continue to do that. Send us your love and send us uh, iTunes reviews and and share the show like you have been doing, which has been great. Um, <clears throat> uh, we have. 
our minister of finance. Minister of finance. Yeah, we have finance now. Yeah, we yeah do right. Have we do have a little bit of finance. We actually do have finance. News right. to me. Right. Right. Oh, right. I'm sorry. <laughs> we I've ain't got no finance for you. I mean, did I, I get fired? Money. <laughs> I, I didn't know. Oh, I, I said that out loud. Shit. Right. Right. You weren't supposed to hear that. Well, minister of no finance. Host of gaming looks good. Science looks good. Hair looks good. Uh, yes. <laughs> Operation cubicles Sh- are good. Sharif Jackson of SharifJackson.com. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And I would like to say that Ice Crocodile sounds like some lost, like, no limit rapper from the 90s <laughs> that probably had, like, one of those album covers with, like, a crocodile on it and random oh, diamonds and mad diamonds around the crocodile. somewhere. <laughs> like, it was, it was like every no limit album was done with the same Photoshop action. <laughs> yes. Ice crocodile. Yes. It was amazing. Yeah. I would have like a Cayman around like a bunch <laughs> of cubic zirconias. Yeah. And that would be, <laughs> yes. Be it like was ice crocodile son. I'm surprised that no limit never came out with their own version of the home shopping network. <laughs> Cause it would have been dope. Cause it would have been just late night diamonds. It would have been like the dudes who sell knives late at night, but it would have been no limit soldiers. So it would have been, dope. I mean, it basically be like the homeboy shopping network from a living right. color. More money, more money. So, you know, that master P uh, since we've gone on this tangent of no limit master P started um you know props to him for really trying to branch out and brand uh no limit and he started a sports franchise or, or a sports agency um yeah. and bef- but before he started the sports agency he decided that he was going to try and be an athlete yeah and he and <laughs> he that. went to the new orleans uh hornets at the time and he played for the new orleans hornets uh in their summer league and he averaged a triple single so, so good for him, <laughs> averaging was, a low triple single. He was uh, standing there, pass me the ball, man, pass me the ball. Gee. I just want to play, man, pass me the ball. Oh, my goodness. Come on, shorty. Um, come on, shorty. Uh, our, our, our guest this week. We have is, a guest, too? We have an amazing guest, actually, and there's no other way it's to say guest master no P. To, to our guest. No, right. I... <laughs> If if there if there was a way to figure out a way to make and put you into this game as Master P, <laughs> I would I would again pay massive amounts of money for this. I would I would go out and do. I'd be on your street team if we can make that happen. Dude, Master P in in, in space. I want to hear like the uh along the echoes of right. the space station. Wait, no, nah, you know what he was saying because space is a vacuum. No one would, no sound would come out. Well, you do. <laughs> yes. He would just sit there looking like he was like, <laughs> It's space. No one can make you say, uh. <laughs> oh, yes. yes. There's your new tagline. That might have to be the title of the show. That's all I'm saying. So now that you've heard the amazing Suki voice of our guest, uh, we have with us this week, and I'm so happy to say that we are finally finally gotten you on the show because we have been talking online for a while and running in some of the similar circles. Yeah. We we have co-founder of Fulbright Studios. We have maker of Gone Home and now coming out soon, hopefully, I believe next year, mm-hmm. I believe on Xbox One, PC, and not Linux. No, <laughs> no it's going to be on Linux. We got that. Oh! I was trying to give him shade. I was trying to give Cicero shade. Nah, Linux, Linux, everybody knows where Linux, where, you know, that they need to bring the shit to Linux. 
That's how they know it's official. Yeah. That's how you know it works. Right. <laughs> we have we have Steve Gaynor with us this week. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> um, <laughs> this I'm sure this is unlike any interview that you've ever had. <laughs> there, yeah, this is the most... By a small margin, the most Master P talk that has been on a podcast. <laughs> by, by a small margin. <laughs> he previously was on the No Limit podcast. <laughs> Where weirdly, yeah, they didn't talk about Master P that much. P that, weird. Not, not that much. <laughs> I'm happy because that means that we beat Game Informer. We beat Game Informer on Master P discussions. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. I'm down with that. <laughs> Oh my goodness! So how you been, Steve? How how are things going, man? You guys are like deep into into Tacoma business and Tacoma land. Yeah. So so how, how have you? No, been? we're right in the middle of it. Yeah. No, this stuff's been good. I mean, I guess uh, we've had a we had a pretty crazy summer. It's not like were, were you guys down at E three? Uh yeah, I was at E cool. three. Yep. I had never been to E three before, but uh, oh wow. Yeah, it was. It, it started with being on the Microsoft stage at their E three press conference, which was wild. Yeah. Like that whole process is just. <laughs> weird like i mean because it's such a huge production there's so many people involved you do like you spend like all weekend doing dress rehearsals so it's just like tons of prep and it but the thing is you just like you spend all day waiting and then you like get up on stage you put the mic you know microphone headset on and everything then you just go up and say like 30 seconds and get back off and they're like okay <laughs> right. go hang out again we'll do that again in like three hours and the weird thing is it's at um the school it, it, it's uh were, were you at that at that press conference uh Khalif? The Microsoft one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that was it was really yeah, that was on the on the UCLA campus, right? The mm-hmm. uh, what's the sports team there? The 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 Bruins, the Bruins right? There's yeah. the Bruins, and then the so the weird thing is, so it was in that stadium, and so the green room the, for people was that the one that flooded? Uh, I don't know, I don't know. It didn't it didn't flood while we were there. We stayed dry. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. well, there you go. There you go. Nice. <laughs> but like, uh, so the the green room for waiting for preparations for that. Were like the locker rooms so we were so i i spent like a full weekend hanging out in the women's basketball locker room of that stadium nice. waiting to oh, to do the to do the the prep for the show but That's um awesome no that was a that was a cool experience and then we yeah ran around showed the game to press and it all culminated in last night you came over to our office and you played it. <laughs> that was that oh, was what it was all leading up to in my home. Right. Don't you? I mean, I mean, if that is the way that it works, <laughs> yeah. I, I I feel so honored and I, I do anyway because thank you again for letting me come come through and, and hang yeah. out with you and, and play play Tacoma. Uh, but it's interesting because it's like I didn't know that I, I when I when I was when I was in the seats at E three. I was like, oh, shit, that's Steve. He's on stage right now because I didn't know. But the funny thing is, like, I was in a spot where I could see the teleprompter. Oh. So it was interesting because I was like, I hit I hit Paris from uh, Gamertag Radio. Shout out to Paris, who's now in London. Um, and, and I tapped him on his arm, and I was like, oh, shit, Steve Gator's going to be on stage. What is going on right now? What is happening right now? What is go- what, what is happening? So, so like, what again, like, you, you had that experience. We now know that. Tacoma's going to come out on Xbox One. Going from doing, you know, a kind of, you know, people, the, the cliche term of it was Gone Home was like the indie darling for, for the year that it came out. And it, and it was a great game. Yeah, sure. But it's like going from that position to doing uh, a game like Gone Home to now being on, on stage with Microsoft doing all this crazy fanfare. <laughs> and like, is it, is it crazy? Is it like just surreal? Is it nuts? It's, it's weird. I mean, it's like, the thing is, you know, I was in the AAA games industry for for years before that. So I, the, the the last game I worked on before Gone Home 
was Bioshock Infinite. And so I wasn't like, you know, on like E3 stages for that or anything. <laughs> but I was kind of like inside the process, you know, because that, that game had like a huge E3 presence. They had tons of crazy uh, promotional stuff. So like it was definitely kind of surreal Though the, the weirdest thing, I didn't even know the weirdest thing about the E3 press conference until after I was on it and saw like photos people had taken and like tweeted was I didn't even know until <laughs> afterwards that just like while I was up on stage, just in gigantic text, like across the whole background, it just said Steve Gaynor, like 20 nice. feet tall. That, if I had known that, it would have been way weirder at the time. But no, it, it's a, it's a, it's a really, I think the, the interesting thing about it is just being able to see from the inside that like the kind of game that we're making is really not the kind of game that was featured in this kind of like event, you know, back when I was working on like big AAA projects. So it's just, it's interesting to be like, Oh yeah, last time I was involved with something like this, it was like a huge, like, you know, $50 million publisher funded thing. And now, you know, we've stepped up a little bit from how we made gone home. Like we have a few more people and we actually have an office instead of working in our basement and stuff like that. But it's still (laughs) like, you know, we're just kind of doing our thing and it's a cool, I think, kind of indication of where the industry is at. That it's like, oh yeah, like these smaller productions, these games that aren't made by like huge publicly traded companies, they're getting that kind of support from the platform holders too. So yeah, awesome. yeah. Reef, yes, sir. <laughs> oh, I think, I th- ah, hi, ah, Reef. Ah, 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 <laughs> just wanted to say hi. <laughs> I just want to say hi. Yeah, so so seeing seeing how the landscape has changed a little bit in that respect, that was really funny. Has changed a little bit in that respect. What is what has been the kind of have you seen? I guess especially because you're now kind of straddling the line of seeing how both you you already knew how the AAA side yeah. worked, then you went back to a smaller kind of, of 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 deal, and then now you're going not necessarily back into AAA spaces, but you know. Is it is it double A? Do you know that <laughs> yeah. Kind of in between space. Single A, maybe. Do you, single single A. <laughs> your batting average has gotten better. <laughs> um, do you do you notice that, like you said, those platform holders are now kind of specifically seeking folks out who are in those spaces and saying, "We know that you that you have very um, um, interesting and different games that you we want you to bring to our platform, and we want to both kind of give you an extra push so that you have more um, leeway to make the games that you want." And also, we know that the space needs this because AAA games aren't really pushing forward the medium in the same way that it used to. I think it's at least those first two things. <laughs> 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 like, I mean, you know, I, I'm sure that there are people at Microsoft and at Sony who are, like, scouting games that are, like, oh, this is really doing something different, and that's cool. But I think, like, bottom line is it's a win-win for the platform holders and for the developers because the platform holders can say like like what a platform holder wants is to be able to say look at all these exclusive games we have look at these games that you can only get if you buy our console so for sony that's like they have bloodborne you know like and that was huge for them and they have uncharted and it's like hey you can only play these games if you have a playstation so buy it and you know that's one way to invest and say like okay we're going to be the publisher of this huge game it's going to be a blockbuster and that's going to drive sales But the other side of that is, you know, you saw Sony doing this at the beginning of this console cycle. And I think Microsoft is now kind of like filling in that gap because Sony's moved away from it more. But the platform holders are like, hey, you know how we can get 
a lot of exclusive games on our platform is if we like make deals with you know these smaller studios that don't need as yeah. much money don't need as much oversight are going to do more kind of like surprising unique stuff without as many dependencies and so if we can say like hey if you get an xbox this 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 and this cool independent title that is unlike anything else out on the market you'll be able to to get that as well as you know if you want to play metal gear if you want to play you know xyz um so you know i and i think that's a good place for for developers of this scale of game too because you can be like hey the platform holders they're such big big companies that they have relatively speaking so little invested that all they really care about mm. is supporting you. They can, you know, like they're, they're like, hey, we're going to do everything we can to try to make you as successful as we can. But if it doesn't work out, that's like a percentage <laughs> of a percentage <laughs> of a percentage <laughs> of our bottom line. So like, you know, because I, I think you can get into into situations where it's like, oh, if this like, if this doesn't, if this isn't a huge hit, it's going to like be terrible for us, you know? But it, it, right, I think right. when you are, when you can say, "Hey, we'll bring something unique to your platform, and we just need a little support from you," it's a it's a good place for both parties to be at this at this point, you know. Right. right. Yeah, I, I find that really um, interesting because I've I've kind of felt um, as a consumer that they were kind of the industry was kind of moving a bit away from that exclusive kind of thing to push units, um, except for uh, for a Nintendo, right. kind of like the Sony and Microsoft thing is, you know. I played Metal Gear on the PC. Yeah, right. Know, and and I thought that you know my impression like was always that with these sixty dollar um, game prices and the astronomical costs of like development that most people wanted their games on more than one yeah ki- kind of platform and that it was more about kind of the timed exclusives like right. like what Tomb Raider or like Sony paying God knows how much to Bungie to trick everyone to think Destiny is like a PS4 <laughs> game, <laughs> um, and and um, all that. So, so like I'm I'm actually really um, really intrigued by that thought that the platform holders are kind of going out of their way to get those um, those uh, platform um, exclusives, and and that developers would be down with that. Well, I mean, it. I, I think your I think your your observation is correct because a they know like unless like Sony or Microsoft actually publishes the game, then they know that they can't say, oh, you, you can't be on PC at the same time. Like, we're going to come out at PC and on Xbox One at the same time. You know, like, right. I think it's like they've just kind of found that PC is A, too important to developers, and B, has, relatively speaking, little enough overlap uh, in in players that they're like, okay, we know that if we say you can't be on PC at the same time, you're just going to not be on our launch on our console so you can be on (laughs) our console and pc you just can't be on the other guy's console and generally it is a timed thing you know like it's like an unspoken timed thing because until the time is up like it is an exclusive but i i think that you know there have been enough years that have gone past they're like okay the thing that's most valuable for us is it's only on our console amongst consoles for a certain amount of time and then past that point We've gotten the value out of it, and developers are happy to sign on for it, and everybody wins, and blah blah blah. But when you do see something that's like, no, Gears of War and Halo are published by Microsoft; those are on Xboxes only, you know, or like, right. yeah, right. like like Bloodborne is published by Sony; that's going to be on PS4. 
period. Yeah, you know right. I mean, I think that's where the real cutoff is. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, one of the ways that uh, we can colloquially call that is the Ray J syndrome. You could say I hit it first. <laughs> um, but, 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 you know, seriously, though, uh, I, I think you're... you're I'm, just it's picturing, actually, I'm just picturing Microsoft is just like the Microsoft execs are in the back just writing a diss track. Right. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. It will be very bad music. Oh, <laughs> Phil Spence, listen, Phil Spence's street cred is... He's, he's, he's hardcore. He's gangster. Oh, man. I would pay so much money. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I interrupted you. Okay, they don't call them Xbox P3 for nothing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but but seriously, Steve, um, I, I think I think your observation is very astute, and 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 we've seen it actually manifest in in lots of different uh, independent games, games that have been d- developed by very very small houses, yeah. uh, but have been uh, subsidized. By one company or or the other. Yeah. Um. You look at you you know like you said at at, at the PlayStation 4's launch. You look at a game like uh, Resogun. Yeah. Which you know which was you know was was the game that was probably the best of the launch titles for the PlayStation 4 and actually quite frankly uh, for both consoles. Yeah. Um. You you know you you look at uh, games that are that are near and dear and close to Bricago like Idarb. Yeah, uh, which you know, which came out and was was a, a games with gold um, out of other ocean. You look at uh, the the game that is the darling of everyone's you know everyone's uh, face right now, um, which is 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 escaping my head. But the soccer, the, the, oh, yeah. the soccer rocket, 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 league. Yeah. rocket, rocket league. league, yeah, you know, uh, you know, I mean, these are these are games that that eventually will make it to other platforms. Um, but the you know, but the point is that they're married to in in the mind share, and that's what's most important. Right. They're married to one console or the other, yep. and it's it's important for the console manufacturers, uh, for Sony and for Microsoft, to come out and say, "Hey, look, uh, you remember you know remember this game? The first place you could play it was with us. Right. Remember this game? You know the first place that you could play it was with us." Um, you know, so I, I think that point is, is you know, is a, a very good point for people to, to remember yeah. and kind of understand uh, and, and, you know, how the, the industry is moving forward in terms of how the how the the console manufacturers are positioning positioning themselves when they, when it comes to software. I want to kind of pivot a, a, a little away from that uh, specifically to kind of talk about your past sure. and and talk about, you know, you said that you had worked on the Bioshock team. So I'm assuming you were with Irrational and 2K Marin. Yeah. Yep. Um, one of the things that was really cool about um, both those games and one thing that I know about you is that you kind of got your start out. Um, building, doing level designs for fear. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, wow, that's research. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and um, but but the thing that I think is awesome, the, the thing that I always loved about Bioshock, and I don't know if you had any uh, input in the creative design of it, was was I uh, you know actually how the game was was set up, and it's a very very film noir, very you know 
noirish type of thing yeah. and it reminded me of one of my favorite movies which was a th- which was a more modern movie but a throwback to a, a bygone era the name of the movie is dark city oh yeah um yeah, yeah and and do you do you were there any of those you know were there kind of similarities drawn from the aesthetic of of a movie like dark city i i think yeah i think that there i think there were yeah i think that so okay just to 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 um clarify i i didn't work on the first game but i worked at irrational okay. on bioshock infinite i worked on the second game at two camera in so i started as a level okay. designer on bioshock mm. too but i was okay. lucky enough to work with ken levine and a bunch of the guys that had created bioshock one when i was at irrational and you know talked to them about this stuff and so you know i i have some amount of insight but i didn't actually work on the first game but i worked with okay. a lot of people who did but um right. No, I think that, that that kind of aesthetic, like you were saying, like both kind of classic film noir and, um, you know, German expressionism, just the very, right, right. like, strong focus Metropolis. on... Yeah, exactly. Like, the both the Art Deco kind of thing, like, like Metropolis as far as, like, a mechanical design goes, but also really focusing on the play of light and shadow, you know, and that high right. contrast feeling of, you know, brightly lit, versus a dark corner. Um, and I think that, you know, like you were, you were saying, there's um, kind of modern or more modern films that, um, if anything, I think, like, push that to the next level, you know, really made it like a self-conscious um, version of like, just amping up what we remember about that and making it like the more intense version of itself. I think all of that was definitely a big influence on the the visual identity of Bioshock One, and I think with Infinite, you know, they were trying to challenge themselves not to rely on that, you know, and say yeah. it's bright, it's airy, it's open, it's you know a very different feeling because we can't just just go back to what we're comfortable with and say it's dark and spooky, you know, and it's it's under the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we make a game? that is kind of like about what we know how to do when we can't rely on that same point of reference. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, I guess, um, were you part of the group that got the dear John letter from Ken Levine? Um, Oh no. Or had you left, had you left the, yeah, no, uh, I, um, I was at, irrational for like the full year of 2011 like i moved to boston at the very end of 2010 and then moved back to portland at the the very very end of 2011 um so i was there i left basically a year and a half before the game shipped something like that okay so i was Mm -hmm. i mean i had kind of the the dream job as far as like if you're a designer on on a bioshock game like probably what you what you picture the ideal version being is like, okay, so like I want my job to like be to sit in a room with Ken Levine and be like, here's what I think should be in the game. Wouldn't this be awesome? (laughs) Uh, And that was, that was a lot of my job. That was a lot of my job. Like, because I was there early enough that we were still um, kind of doing the first draft of a lot of the campaign. So a lot of my job was like, working with Ken for him to be like, okay, here's what Booker and Elizabeth's story is at this point in the game and kind of what the the overall plot point that 
that we need to concentrate on is at this part of the game and my job was to basically do like design documents and the like the some of the early passes of um levels in the first part of the game and like yeah write some stuff down and then bring it to ken and be like okay so, so cool. i think what if this happened and this happened and this happened and he's like well i don't know about this and you know you kind of like go back around until you're <laughs> like okay let's try building that and putting it on screen um and so it was really interesting i mean it was a really valuable process and i got to work with yeah like nate wells and steven alexander and, and sean robertson like guys that had been there since the beginning of bioshock one and kind of like use them as sounding boards and learn how they got to work and all that kind of stuff but it's also um it turns out uh really hard for your job to be come up with stuff that some other guy is going to think is cool <laughs> because yeah. like you're not going to bat a thousand on that, you know? And so it's a yeah. lot of like, what do you think about this? Oh, okay. I'll try again. <laughs> you know? um, but th like, that's, that's a lot of the creative processes to be like, okay, so I'm zoom, I'm, I'm zeroing in on something that we both think would be a, a cool idea to put into the game. Now let's try building it and playing it and, and see how it goes. Um, but yeah, I, I, I basically, my wife and I lived in Boston for a year and my wife's from Portland here where, where I am, like Khalif is. Um, and after we had spent a year in Boston, we were both just like, yeah, I, we, we had been chasing school and jobs around the country for like five or six years. And, mm -hmm. you know, like, I was working on a really, really, really big, huge game. And I think both of us just realized like, I mean, I was like, I don't think I want to be working on games that are this big anymore. And both of us kind of wanted to just get back to the Pacific Northwest. So I did my year and, you know, contributed what I could to the project. And then we, we headed back to the West Coast. So, so let's, let's pivot again. Let's, cause I think that that's um, a good way to, to kind of go back a little bit. So I want, I want to know that the, the quintessential question is like, so, Steve Gaynor, why did you ever want to get into games? What was the what was the kind of impetus for you to say, "Hey, I want to be in this world and I want to be a person who's making these kinds of experiences?" That's a really good question. That the, honestly, okay, so that's the best interview question I found because <laughs> I I did um you've you've talked about listening to it. I did a, an interview series called Tongue Control where I yes. interviewed other mm -hmm. game developers and which is awesome. Thank you. Um and and what I found was the that's that's really like I think in a lot of cases that's what you're trying to figure out like yourself when you're in this business like why do I want to make these things? Like what do I want to make that expresses why I want to be making these things? But, you know, when when you're talking to somebody and you're like so why did you want to make these in the first place? It it's mm -hmm. It gets down to like some of the, the you know, the deep stuff, I guess. So um, good question. <laughs> uh, so I, I guess, um, you know, when I was in high school and college, like, I mean, all, all since I was growing up, I had been drawing and writing and drawing comics and stuff. So like when I was in high school and college, I was doing a lot of comics and I was like, you know, kind of thinking okay well i want to like i've spent a lot of time drawing and I, and I like character illustration and i think i want to get into like visual art you know like like character design comic storyboarding you know and like i was writing my own stuff for that and everything um and so i was in um i was in the the art program at uh, portland state and I think what I realized as I was doing it, you know, as I was like, I had this notebook that I would write, like, 
ideas for comics stories in, you know, and I'd have it in class and I'd be like mm-hmm. writing ideas that I came up with. And at some point I, I realized that all the stuff I was writing in that notebook had slowly turned into ideas for games instead of like ideas for like, Oh, here's this comic I want to draw. It was like, mm-hmm. here's this thought that I had about like this, this game I was playing or like, what if there was a game like this, you know, that kind of thing. And I think through mm-hmm. that, I was like, it, it, it was just a movement of self-realization of like, you know, like actually clearly what my brain is thinking about the most is like video game stuff. You know, even though it's not what I do, it's like clearly what is on my mind. And I thought back to it and I'm like, that's true that games more than, more than any other like form of media, like I love films and I, and I still read comics and stuff, but like games are the thing that have like meant the most to me as just like an entertainment medium growing up. And they're kind of what I'm the most obsessed with, you know, like I'll check out like, Oh yeah, this comic <laughs> is cool and I'll read it and stuff. But like, I'll be obsessed with the game that I'm playing and thinking about all. So, you know, it was at that point around that time that I was thinking, you know, like, well, if that's true and I want to do, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm in, you know, if I, if I want, if I want to do something creative, I should be trying to do something in this medium. That's clearly like what I'm the most like in tune with. And I started looking into it and I was like, well, how can I get into that? Because like, I don't want, like, I don't want to, I, I, I spent some time like trying to like teaching myself 3d art and animation and stuff. Cause I was closest to what I was already mm-hmm. doing. But at some point I was like, I realized what I really care about is like what happens in the game and how it works, you know? And like, that side of it so how do you get into like i know i could like make a bunch of 3d models and that's how you get into 3d you know art for games or whatever but how do you get into like the other side of it and that's when i started to to find out about like well if you like want to be a designer you can like make your own levels and then have like a level portfolio and become a level designer and then like that gets you in on the design side you can contribute to like the design side of the game and like that is a way in and i mean i'm very grateful fortunate whatever to have like started making levels and then like made a level portfolio and applied and gotten it. It was like, Oh, it worked. Uh, You know, it was a really long process. And I I spent like a year and a half in um, quality assurance. You know, I was a tester at Sony and um, at a small company in, in San Francisco for like a year and a half before I got my first design interview and blah, blah. But, um, but you know, that's, uh, that's where it came from was just sort of like really thinking, you know, cause I, I, I was, I was into comics and I was into like alternative comics, you know, like Fantagraphics, like Daniel Klaus and, and Chris Ware and, you know, going back and reading like our Chrome comics and just like all sorts of um, kind of like alternative press stuff. And the thing that, that it became clear to me, I was like, the people who are making these things that are like deeply conversant in doing something new with what comics are. They're obsessed with comics and with the history of comics and everything that's ever happened in this medium in a way that I'm not. But in a way right. that I am about this other thing, you know, and I was sort of like, right. I need to listen to myself, you know, like I need to like <laughs> involve myself with this because clearly I'm ter- I'm trying to tell myself something, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, it's inter- yeah. it's interesting how that kind of moves itself, right? It's like the, one of the kind of amazing things about the tone control series that you've done is, you know, I was lucky enough to go to GDC this year, yeah. and, a, and a kind of common thread that I heard through a I think lot. That was where of, I first met you. Uh, I ran you at the IGF Pavilion. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, is that folks who usually are in the positions of being creative directors or being the creatives in these kinds of games, 
don't really come from programming backgrounds. They come from artist backgrounds. They come from art uh, backgrounds in which they're they're doing more of the outside of the box thinking where it's like, I need these concepts to be real. Yeah. And then I will help someone. These, these me in, in conjunction with someone else who can do those things will will make those things real. It's it's kind of one of the interesting things I heard in one of the in the Druckmann one yeah. that you did with Neil Druckmann, who was on from Naughty Dog. Um, it all really depends, though. I mean, I think I think yeah. a lot of it can just be. I think a lot of it is an ongoing process of discovery, you know, because like mm-hmm. Neil Druckmann started out as a programming intern at Naughty Dog, and like Tim Schafer started out as a programmer. And I think even. Um, I think Jake Solomon from uh, from Firaxis, who was the creative director of the new XCOM game, um, he started out coding as well. I mean, obviously, like Jonathan Blow, like is still a hardcore programmer on his own mm-hmm. stuff. But I right. think a lot of it is like it's less important where you start and more that you just find a way in. You know what I mean? Where it's mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, like I think that like I know how to program computers. I know I want to work on video games. I should be a game programmer. And then maybe once you're there, what you discover is actually like, well, I'm kind of okay at the programming thing, but I'm really getting way more into the story side or the art side or whatever. And and if you're lucky, you can actually like follow that that path once you're once you're on site. But a lot of times it just I think it's just a question of like being there, you know, and having the opportunity to like contribute in one way and kind of realize well actually i think i kind of want to be contributing this other way and then just figuring out if it's possible to actually make that transition you know yeah i actually i actually really like the way that um you put that so i've i've done my um kind of small game design things i've mm-hmm. built simple 2d games in like c plus plus yeah i used to build unreal stuff back in the day and now i've been playing a lot of uh mario maker like yeah. designing levels there and like also i'm really jazzed for the stuff that they were talking about um for uh doom 4 in terms of the level cr- oh, yeah. cr- creation there so oh, i haven't seen about that yeah oh, cool. um so um what's like your opinion on some of these newer kind of um examples of level cr- creators that are explicitly more about just the pure creation and and the design and not as much about sort of the technical aspect of the coding because I love them, but I do sometimes want to just dig into the meat of it and kind yeah. of shift anything around, which is one thing I liked about the uh, the uh, the uh, C++ stuff that I did. But then you're worrying about compiling and right. all the stuff that has to, <laughs> to, to do with that. So, like, are you a fan of, like, some of these newer um examples of uh, creation or like do you think it's still um kind of better to go in like the old school way of you know of learning a language i i mean i think i think the most i think the most like maybe the most valuable thing about it is that it's just a way in for people you know it's such a great like Mm -hmm. like it makes at least finding out that you the a that you can make things like levels at all and be that like maybe you as an individual actually like it a lot like it makes that accessible because you can be like hey i mean that's that's how it was when i was growing up you know like i remember like playing it's excite bike on the nes and it had a a, a track (laughs) creator you know and there was like another game um called rider 
Well, I, uh, there, there was a game on NES that's called Demo... I don't remember. It was this weird off-brand... Not off-brand, but this really obscure Mario game that was about, like, being on a construction platform and, like, breaking blocks and having to climb up it and stuff. Um, and it, it shipped with a level, level creator, uh, you know, with it and stuff. And then, like, when I bought Duke Nukem 3D, uh, they shipped to the, the level editor... Um, like on the CD with that game, and it came with documentation. You could like edit at least the first level of the. I think you could maybe edit all of the levels of the game with the editor to see how they did stuff, and like just that accessibility of saying like, oh, I can try making this stuff. I can try making my own level. I can see what that's like, um, and then if you go from there to to like the next step of like, okay, well, I feel limited by the fact that I you know, I don't have the full tool set to make a Mario level. I feel limited by the kind of like commercial Doom 4 editor that shipped with the thing. How can I have a deeper, you know, experience? Well, I feel like I, I get the fundamentals. If I do download the Unreal editor, or if I do download yeah. like the editor for, you know, like Left 4 Dead or Team Fortress or whatever, it's like I can really kind of like have more power to do that kind of stuff. That's a great progression because if you... If you don't have that first step, you might not ever know that you can get to the the next one, you know. Um, but I think there's tons of people that are gonna use those like end user level editors and be like, "Wow, I I want to I want to figure out how to make this something that I can keep doing. I want to know how I can go further in this direction." And that's awesome that way more people just have that initial exposure, you know. Yeah, it was. I remember hearing Cliff Blazinski once uh, on a podcast say, because someone asked him, you know, how do I get into the industry? I, I have all these tools that I had. I had like Unreal 3 on my computer, and how do I get into the industry? He was like, make sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was. He was like, if you. Yeah, no, that, that was one of the, the like formative moments that I had when I was like maybe, yeah, like, like 19, 18 or 19, nah, 19 or 20, something like that. I was in college. And I saw this posting for like, I don't even remember what it was. It was like a, it was a seminar, I guess. I don't even remember if you had to pay for it, but it was like a seminar on basically how to get into game development. And it was up in Seattle and there were like people there from Monolith and there was like some independent contractors and stuff. So it was like, oh, here's a, this one guy who's an independent contractor that like makes contracts to make arts, art for games. And here's like the hiring director for this big studio and blah, blah. And they all kind of talked on stage about like what you should do if you want to get into games. And they all basically just mm -hmm. said exactly that. And this was, you know, 10, <laughs> 12, 15 years ago now, whatever it was, they're all just like, just make cool shit and get it out in front of people and then make more of it. You know, it's like, <laughs> like make stuff, show it to people on forums, show it to your friends, show it to like enter it into contests online. Like just like make stuff that you can, have other people check out and make sure that they know about it and see if they think it's cool and then make more and like continue that loop until it's like, Hey, I've got something. If I showed this to somebody who was hiring people at a video game studio, they'd be like, that's fucking cool. We should talk, you know, but that's the whole right. process. Really. What I need is Naughty Dog to have a beatbox manager <laughs> so that I can get into the industry because math hates me. <laughs> And I can't fuck with math and I can't draw for shit. So I need them to do that because I'm really good at that. You should beatboxing? I can beatbox the hell out. What? Word? What? Nice. Don't start oh, no Mobina. Let, let me find out. One of our music breaks could be uh, Ice Crocodile oh, Beatbox. Right. Ice Crocodile oh, features, yeah. <laughs> Kaja One. 
Ice, Ice Crocodile featuring Spitty. Yeah, right? yeah. I got the I got the main I got the most important uh, Metal Gear Solid Five recruit in my base. Uh, he's a dude named Blazing Roach. <laughs> and I know what he's into. I know what he does in his downtime. Yes, I know what he got that code name. I bet he's got a troublemaker though. Yeah, oh, yeah. He hangs out with Woody Harrelson. <laughs> Keep him in the waiting room. Don't assign him to nothing. Right. Oh my God. So, assign so you know him, assign him to Cheetos. <laughs> um, oh my God. <laughs> so, so another thing that's been really interesting is like you know we don't see a lot of we don't see a lot of devs playing games and you've been doing a lot of twitch streams lately oh yeah uh, well yeah, that's, bit, been yeah. Really, so. that's been really fun to watch you like go through the process of playing some of the games that you've been enjoying and, and like having people come in and you're like hey i got this <laughs> <laughs> i don't need you to tell me how to do this part I, <laughs> I wish i wish i could twitch stream more i don't know it's like i don't know you guys you guys know what it is i feel like i'm just i i, I hate when people are like oh i'm too busy but I think it's more like it's it's in the evening. It's like I just want to play some shit and not have to be like on yeah, yeah, right, during it. Right. But like it is really nice when you can just be like, you know what? There's this old game that I've wanted an excuse to to play some more of. I'm just gonna get on and just bullshit with Twitch chat while I play it, and it's Word. it's it's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, you, you have a fun stream because people people are just coming in like, oh shit, it's Steve, and then you're like, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like playing the game like, yeah, what's up, y'all? How you doing? How's everybody going? <laughs> I've been I, I've had the good uh, good motivation to uh, go over to our level designer uh, Nina's place. Nina Freeman is an independent game developer and she also works at Fulbright and she streams a lot and she invites people over to like hang out on her stream. So that's a that's like, okay, you're going to stream. Fine. I'll come hang out. I'll, I'll show up at your place. Like I don't have to like get my own setup done. So, so that's I'm been trying, a good excuse to do a little more streaming. So I'm trying to get cool enough so that I'll get invited to that because that would be dope. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Nina, Nina is fucking awesome. So sp- speaking speaking of of games and and uh, and dope games, uh, I you know we would be remiss before we we hit the break if we didn't talk about uh, the game that that Fulbright first put out that uh, you mm-hmm. know a few people heard about and uh, kind of <laughs> liked and you know kind of talked about uh, a game by the by the title of Gone Home. Um, mm-hmm. y- you know, uh, please allow me to be to to count myself amongst the amongst the the populace by saying what an amazing game that was. Um, Thank you very much. One, Thank you for um, playing it. And. Uh, and and two two I'll say thank you again for putting it out on Linux. Uh, <laughs> yeah, are you are you a Linux gamer? This is what I'm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so I'm a I'm a Linux user. In fact, yeah. Um this this episode is a landmark episode for Spawn on Me, uh, Bricago. Just so you know, I am recording on a Windows PC for yes. the very first time. Wow. So uh, the only thing I can say to that is e gas, right? Egads, <laughs> so, e- good sir. <laughs> Bill Gates loves you. Man. He's listening. So yeah, so they have. Been, I want to cry. Right. <laughs> so there have been seventy-eight episodes that have been done uh, strictly on Linux. Um, I've done any type of uh, gaming that I've done that is non-console gaming uh, and non-mobile gaming had been done uh, prior to this for the most part on a uh linux linux machine so you know i wasn't doing a lot of of gaming uh, you know it, it, basically only the games that were worth playing 
or games <laughs> that I played, and one of those happened to be Gone Home. Um, Did it run okay on Linux? That's a that's a that's a dangerous question to ask on a live podcast. Right. Do you have any big problems? No, no, I I, you, got, I, you got like you, know, you got like I Linux have, kernels. You I got had, all these. Different... I had no issues, no issues awesome. whatsoever. Um, okay, good. Yeah, it was it was it that's was like smooth as butter. Um, <laughs> great, awesome. Uh, you know, so the, so the game is great, and and I, you know, I want to talk about, I want to talk about the game, and I want to ask this question right off the bat, um, so that way, and you know, I'll try to avoid spoilers for people who haven't gone, haven't played the game. Uh, the first is there was a rumor a while ago that the game may be coming to Xbox One. Is that is that true? I would say that. You know, never say never, but it's been a long, it's been a long and interesting road. Yes. Uh, so, um, I don't know. The, the biggest thing is just that, you know, we are incredibly grateful for the the, the audience we've had on PC, Mac, and especially Linux. Nice. Uh, <laughs> to them. I don't know. I, I just said that to, <laughs> to get on, get on C's good side. Um, right, right, exactly. But, uh, uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, uh, it's, there's, there are, there are things about, you know, like, basically we, we built the game for PC originally right. and it, introduces some unique challenges for uh for bringing it to console in some cases uh and you know at this point we are um you know full steam ahead on tacoma but um uh, we we would love to be able to have more people get to to play it in the future okay so we're gonna have to see we're gonna have to see right (laughs) so 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 could you tell how diplomatic right yeah exactly i was was trying really hard exactly that was that was (laughs) Joke. Right, and Philip Wright's ambas- was- ambassador to the United Nations. Yeah, that was great. Um, so, so I guess so. The thing that I will say to Bricago is, if you haven't had a chance to play Gone Home, you haven't purchased it yet. Uh, go to Steam; it is available on. Uh, if you have Steam, you have a um, a mode in which to play it. Um, it is not very very graphically intensive, um, so that you can play it on most systems. Um, yeah, if it'll play on a recent like laptop, you right. know, it'll, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so go out and play it. Um, so I've, I've listened to a couple of different, uh, interviews that you've had, um, uh, regarding gone home. And mm-hmm. I know that, um, that at certain points that you said it was semi-autobiographical, um, there, yeah, there, there are aspects of it. Right. Um, the first question I, I will ask is, did was was one of the autobiographical parts that fucking house? <laughs> that, that house is is part terrifying and fucking amazing. Yes, all in the, and huge all in the same yeah. time. It is. It's a bit sprawling. Yes, uh, I, I I cannot say that I've ever lived in such a large and I will add physically impossible house. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean I think that in a lot of ways like um the we so we did a um the our three D artist Kate and myself, we did a talk at GDC last year in the level design summit right. um that was about how the house needed to feel real even though it wasn't like 
plausible right. in a in a in a strict uh, strictly realistic sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that the house, in a lot of ways, is kind of one of the most fictionalized aspects of it. You know, like the the house was built to be a a, a video game level right. primarily, mm-hmm. but that was why we chose this big old sprawling victorian house that was like in the countryside basically because right. it's like you know a modern house and like a house that any of us probably live in even like one that was you know built within the last 60 70 80 years like has a much more compact floor plan right and what we really needed for the kind of story that we were telling which is so conversant with the space is to have a lot of these long hallways with rooms off of them that really kind of like fit the flow of of how experiencing the story works so it's like that can't be a modern house it just doesn't make sense they must be in this house from like the end of the 19th century that it has plenty of room to spread out and that they inherited from Mm -hmm. somebody because they aren't millionaires so why is this family in this house and that's where a lot of the story of the game came from like the specifics were like okay we need this kind of house but these kinds of characters so why do these people live here? And and those are the kind of questions that that our process of writing is like an, like finding those questions for ourselves and then answering them through the story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's an interesting process for us to just sort of feel that stuff out as we go. Yeah, it, it was it was so it was so fulfilling playing the game and finding out a backstory that I wasn't expecting for you know characters you know that are very vivid um in the game but i think that one of the biggest accomplishments um and like one of the things that i really um love about the game is that like cicero mentioned i was so tense creeping through this house yeah (laughs) every time i saw an icon that said turn on lights i was like oh my god like i was like i was i was definitely expecting you know the "Quote unquote video gamey aspects of a not maybe not a monster closet per se, but like <laughs> right. some kind of you know PT style you know uh, jump scare or like there would be some supernatural twist. So like I went through this game so slowly, yeah. but I'm glad <laughs> I did because I really absorbed not only absorbed the notes, but I found them because I was moving so slowly and I noticed kind of." off the center of my eye like that's something in the closet or is that something (laughs) you you know in the garbage can you know like um (laughs) so um like was that kind of was that intentional during the design to like sort of you know make the player or or make make the experienced game player um think that something was gonna come at them so it kind of made them kind of slow their pace and not run through this house like a mad person just like looking for everything at full speed. Yeah. I, that, I mean, I think that was certainly part of it. That, that was why like overall we knew that we wanted to have the feeling that, you know, something wasn't right, you know, because like, it's like, okay, something happened here. I don't know what it was, but it like doesn't seem like it was good. So I need to like figure out what it was <laughs> because the thing is like, you know, in, in a lot of games, what's really valuable is a sense of urgency, you know, and right, this sense right. of like, okay, I need to like do what I like. I have my mission objectives. And it's like important that I get them done. I need to like take this seriously and like try to, you know, like consider all the angles. And it's, 
it's it's I guess in some ways more straightforward in a game where it's like you have to be careful and think about what you're doing because otherwise somebody's gonna fucking kill you. <laughs> you know, like if I if I just like wander through this house full of zombies, I'm not gonna get very far. You know, I have to actually and and so I think that um, you know that's we we knew there's not gonna be anything that's gonna kill you. There's not gonna be ghosts. We aren't gonna do like a crazy, you know, jump scare. There's somebody outside the window or, right. or something. So we needed to use the atmosphere mm-hmm. and just the, the, the tone of feeling like I, I feel off balance. I feel uncomfortable. I feel like I really need to figure out what happened here mm-hmm. and not just feel like, yeah, I might as well just kind of wander around and do whatever, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, I guess I'll just mm-hmm. kind of oh, look at that. I don't know why. Because if you don't feel like you have a purpose for being there and you don't feel like it matters if you look at this or that and you just kind of are, yeah, walking through um, without really engaging with it, then the whole thing falls down. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to start from a point of you feeling like, you're you know like like you're like you're not in a secure place as far as like why you're in this house and what's going on and hopefully that would draw you into the 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 rhythm of the experience to the point that by the point where you realize like oh this is this is really just about this family this is just about something that happened to people you're like hooked in enough with that that that's why you're playing Mm -hmm. and not like all right, but seriously, when's the serial killer? Right. <laughs> so, I mean, you know. Well, you know. Well, here, here would be dope, though. Yeah. <laughs> be dope. You, this would be dope. So if you'd make a Gone Home 2, I'm going to I'm gonna be you and you're going to be Ken Levine for a hot second. Right. <laughs> so we open, the, we open the closet door and the monster closet in Gone Home 2 is a spinning tie rack. <laughs> <laughs> that shit would be dope. The, the, it would be dope. Does it have... Does that have like a little motion detector on it? Right. So it just starts spinning. As a motion detector. I'm fully expecting Gone Home 2, like Minerva's Den, where you're running from right. big daddies through a mansion. <laughs> down. Go ahead, see. I'm sorry. No, no I, what I was, what I was going to say is that the, the brilliance of, of, of the game is um, I played it a second time, and, and I played it on Linux when I initially bought it and I played it again on Windows actually right mm. before we we started recording and mm-hmm. um and and the 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 amazing thing about the game is that even though I knew second time going in exactly what was going on I still had that feeling because you guys set up this the the ambiance and and the the immersion factor is just is so fantastic um that you even though you know that there isn't going to be a jump scare, the the atmosphere sets up that level of tension. Like like Sharif said, it just it it is so just pervasive that yeah. you can't you really can't escape it. And and uh, you do a wonderful job of pacing. Like you can you know take your own time. You can get through the game in an hour and a half, two hours. Um, but but the pacing that you guys is perfectly done and i actually i feel like i'm probably going to go back a third time to play it because i i still haven't been able to unlock everything like i wasn't able to get into dad's uh file cabinet um okay you know but uh the 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 other thing that really struck me and and it's a thing that resonates uh really really strongly with bracago is um you know not only were the characters, all of the characters that you hear from are women uh, in the mm-hmm. game. 
but the main the main character even though the protagonist the the, the person that you control is the protagonist but i wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily call her the main character um yeah she's the she's the protagonist of the the game like right. the the real time like right. the thing that's happening but the right. protagonist of like the story of the game right. is, mm-hmm. yeah it, yeah and and the fact that she was she is so strong and is and is so just she's like she's in her in her space and she knows who she is at such an early age and and the way that you're able to to discover that as the game player and and understand that this was something if you hadn't come to that realization, when you do come to the realization, you realize that that you were late to the party and not her. Like right. she, yeah. you know, there was there was none of that discovery for her right. that was there. That was amazing, and I, you know, I really want to kind of understand who it was that kind of determined um, when you guys were building, you know, when you were building the characters and and building out the story, who it was that that made that decision. And and how you guys were so effectively able to execute it. Well, I think what was important to me as far as like the process goes is, you know, I, so thank you for calling out that specific thing, because that was something that early in development, I, I, I called out internally, like in, in those words, you know, like I think uh, I thought it was important to say, like, she she is secure with herself. Like she knows who she is. The conflict is everybody else dealing with that. You know what I mean? And, um, and, but that came out of what I think is really important is that came out of research that I had done. And, and that came that the emphasis on that came to me from working with, with Ken for a year, he would always really focus on like, have you done your research? If you're like trying to make up a quest line about this, have you actually done the research into like how that actually works? You know, have you actually like, mm-hmm. do you know all the things about the, these concepts that might like give you ideas for what the actual quest should be or whatever? Um, and so I took from that and I said, okay, well, you know, if I'm writing this story about a teenager growing up in the nineties, some of that's going to come from me because I was a teenager growing up in the nineties right. and you have mm-hmm. your own experience and you can't really escape that. Mm-hmm. But we've also Carla, my creative partner and I had decided it's going to be about a teenage girl. And so it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm a 30 year old man <laughs> signing up to write from the perspective of like a teenage lesbian, which is like that part is not from my own perspective. And so like I, I, I was like, well, that just means I need to do my research, you know? So I, I read like a lot of blogs from people who had just taught like there was this blog that um, that I found at the time that was called the born this way blog. And it was just people wrote into the blog and submitted. Here's my story of when, you know, I came out or when I realized what my orientation was or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed people that I that I know in real life who have like actually lived through that time and uh, and those experiences and something that. If I hadn't done that research, I think I probably would have started from the like media assumption right. of like, oh, this will be a story about like she'll be like, what are all these feelings? <laughs> right. You know, like I uh, feel and, funny. <laughs> why does why does she look so pretty? Right. Um, and but like from actually 
going straight to the direct you know reported experience of like real people who lived it and not like the screenwriter version a lot of people's stories were like oh yeah i knew how i felt from an early age i just didn't know there was a word for it i just didn't know that was a thing you know i didn't know that 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 like there was even a concept of what that meant my experience was going from knowing how i felt to knowing what the implications of that were you know what i mean and i'm like that's the kind of character that i want sam to be i want sam to to be secure in her own identity and for the challenge to be how to like share that with with other people right. and what right. how, what impact that's going to have on her and the, and the people around her so yeah i mean that, that i'm i'm glad that, that came through in the character it, and it place. did it did screaming screaming out <laughs> one one of the things that uh that uh i i had to learn at a at an early age um was and I didn't really have a name for it. Was um, I have exceptional uh, musical uh, acumen? Oh, yes. you got uh, AMA? Yeah, no, yeah, right. Right. You got that EMA, EMA, I have so many other words that fit into that, into that, into that acronym. In this case, it's, it's exceptional musical acronym. Yes, exactly. <laughs> absolutely, exactly. Um, and I, I think I think we should uh, we should all experience some of that um, with uh, our latest music break. What do you guys think about that? Word, do it. I love it. Right on. So uh, we're going to take a break. Um, we're here with uh, with Sharif Jackson. With Khalif Adams, myself, uh, Mr. EMA, and the uh, amazing Steve Gaynor. This is episode 79 of the Spawn Me podcast. We'll be right back after. Yeah. yeah. D1. 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 Forgive them. For they know now what they do. Love. What they pitching, learn from repetition. They got no mission, vision, so I question their intentions. I'm paranoid, everybody's a sinner. If you ain't on the mission I'm on, then you's an enemy. I know some people that's real, but you don't ask me how I'm doing, you don't care how I feel. You just plotting on my paper. You catch my girl slipping, you'll try to take her. That's what you pray for, that's why. I look a man in his eyes, he ain't nothing to me. I see the spirit in that man, now that's something to see. Satan's sparring with the Godfather. We just pawns in his chess game, a law and order. That's why I be like, Our Father, who are in heaven? Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forget those who trespass against us. What you tell them now? to ya. Black people, we toe up from the floor. Backstabbing, conniving, and plotting. We need to grow up. Every rapper talking about taking somebody, girl. Everything on TV over-sexualized. Man, I really hate this world. Black people robbing black people. Black people killing more black people. These are facts, people. Looking at my own people, wonder if they plot. Smile so bright, heart so rotten. Pick you apart like cotton. We new slaves hanging ourselves minus the noose. Oops, I'm signed, but still spitting the truth. I got to. And to tell you the truth, I ain't even mad. 
Cause Satan's sparring with the God for the throwing jabs. You speak about peace, they think that you're weak. If we ain't on the same mission, can't let you too close to me. Welcome back to the Spawn On Me Podcast, episode 79. I hope you enjoyed that musical break. Of course you did. It came from the CEMA, uh, the exceptional musical acumen of Cicero Holmes. No, I thought that like that that part where Master P rapped over the beatboxing from yeah. Believe, that was amazing. Yes, yeah, that, was, that, that, was, amazing. that was that was really dope. Um, actually, but, but, but this record, this record came from, not from Master P who is from New Orleans, but it came from D1 who is also from New Orleans. Um, and, uh, the, uh, the record, the record's called against us. Um, I, I really love this cat. I really dig, dig what he does. Um, if you guys want to check out his stuff, just go and, and find him anywhere on Amazon, on iTunes, on Google Play, D one D E E uh hyphen the number one uh mm-hmm. against us. Uh really really dope record, really dope cat. Uh and uh you know, uh, a lot of times we feel like the world is against us. Women feel like the world is against them. Um Kyle, I'll let you take it from there. Um yeah, it it was interesting to, and I'm kinda glad that you brought the the subject up of strong women in <clears throat> before the before the music break was something i really loved seeing um in a a great piece that game informer did on you on you guys over at fulbright um and they kind of took the camera around the, around the studio and walked around and, and did like mini profiles of everyone who was there and i noticed specifically that you guys are like a female mostly female uh, staffed gaming studio, which I thought was amazing. And that, you know, you don't hear about that often. We hear about inclusion and, and wanting to have more women in the, in the gaming workforce and having them kind of represented and be in front of camera and, and showing that their work is out there. Uh, can, you, can you kind of talk about and go into a little bit, you know, how that came to be? I know you started as a smaller group and now you've kind of expanded. Yeah. Uh, if you just give a little bit of background on, on how awesome that is. For you guys. Yeah. I mean, I think that it, a lot of it just comes from the starting point of, you know, Carla and I, we had worked together on, you know, Minerva's Den at 2K Moran. We are like a creative partnership. We started uh, the Fulbright company with another programmer that um, we had worked with at 2K Moran. And so it was, you know, Carla and me and uh, one other guy, uh, his name is Yonaman. And then we found Kate, our 3D artist, and brought her on. And so we were four people um, making Gone Home full time as far as who was on the on the staff. And so, you know, it was like 50-50 male, female. Uh, and that's that's easier to do the smaller you are. Because right. one person counts for a much larger percentage. Right. <laughs> but, you know, like, it, it was important to us to say, like, we don't just want to reach out to... We don't want to reach out to people purely just based on, like, oh, they have the most experience or 
you know, the resume or whatever, like that stuff is important, but it's also important to us to say like, we want to work with people that bring different perspectives to the team. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we want mm -hmm. to be able to bring women into what we do because I think it's just integral to, to what we make and how we want to work, you know? So as we went forward, um, you know, it was me, Kate and, and Carla going forward to, to, work on our next project and you know we wanted to say like hey here's this you know like noelle our animator we we put out a call for an animator and she applied like right away we checked out her, her portfolio we were like this is like subtle this is good this has like a feel to it that we're interested in and she doesn't have like a ton of ship titles she isn't like necessarily like oh yeah that's like the most like senior person you could possibly hire but like she has a great outlook. She's got a, she, she just like throws herself into the work and we feel like that brings something to the team that's important, you know? So it's like, our, we had um, our, our junior programmer now, Hannah, she reached out to us just over last summer and she was like, Hey, I'm, you know, I live in, in Portland. I'm between my junior and senior year getting my computer science degree. Um, I love going home. I didn't know if you guys needed a programming intern. And, you know, we're sort of like, well, we aren't really bringing on interns, but we could use someone with some programming skills to do prototyping. And it would be awesome to give this, you know, female student an opportunity to like learn how to work on games, you know, because I feel like a huge and, and that's a huge part of like why we brought Nina on, you know, because we're mm -hmm. like, okay, you haven't mm -hmm. made a game like this before. You know, you haven't like worked at a game studio before. You haven't worked on a 3D, you know, like first person game before. But like that shit is true for everybody when they start out. You know what I mean? Like, right, you right, know, right, right. Um, and so, you know, what we want to say is like we want to bring Nina on because she's dedicated. She's making awesome stuff. We respect her perspective we want someone like that working on what we do and we can help her hopefully you know gain more skills and experience towards making more different different kinds of stuff because i think that there's this um you know self-perpetuating cycle in you know any any uh, uh field like this i assume but in games certainly it's really easy to say like well we need to hire you know, the best person for the job, which generally right, right. means the most experienced person for the job, the person who shipped the most games, the person who's worked on the most yep. uh, prominent games, the person who's been had like the, the highest uh, uh, title on whatever they've worked on. And you're never going to get women into that like uh, uh, stratum of the industry if they don't have a chance to start you know what i mean and right. so if every time right. you're like we're gonna hire the people who've already gotten in then <laughs> the same people are gonna like you know and so like they're all yeah, like we 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 did bring on like leon our programmer who we worked with him at 2k marine and he was a very senior programmer on dishonored and the dlc for that game and it's like we wanted to work with someone who was you know very like established and that we knew it's like okay he can program anything that we need and we've worked with him before and he's a good fit and everything but it's really i think important and valuable to say we can make intentional moves to balance that and to say like let's let's have the fact that this is a woman who wants to move up and wants to get in and wants to like 
you know, occupy, like have more responsibility and contribute. And we can both give her the opportunity to do that and support her and teach her stuff and also maintain what I think is like important, an important part of our studio culture, that it's not just a bunch of dudes. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, it's one of those things like I've, I've kind of talked about this um, in my own workplace now where we've lost a lot of women mm-hmm. um, in our office and I'm raised by a single mom. Yeah, um, I'm used to and more comfortable around um, feminine energy. Yeah. You know, it's it's a different kind of energy that is in is in a place when it is um, um, woman dominant. Yeah, than it is if you have a male dominated space. The the thing I love that you that you're doing at Fulbright is you already have all these accomplished folks who are in 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 your your office and they're doing the work that they've been doing, and you are bringing in quote unquote new talent like like Nina who you know the first game I played of Nina's was how do you do it yeah and I'm like a game like that which is which is an amazing game I mean that was that was why we're working with her because I was at GDC at this um uh event where a bunch of indie developers had been invited to show show their stuff off and it was at this house that um that uh uh shit what's the the name of the Anyway, it's a website who rented a house and they invited a bunch of people over. Um, the the unwinnable. Uh, oh yes, 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 yes. Uh, so yeah, unwinnable uh, did an event for a few years where yeah they rented a house and they invited people to come and show their game. And we actually showed Gone Home the year before that at the unwinnable uh, event and it was cool. And so I was there and I was hanging out and I was walking around and I went into this one room and it was the room where there was Hyperlight Drifter. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, okay, there's Hyperlight Drifter. And I looked over, and Nina was over in the corner with her laptop. And she was like, hey, you want to play my game? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> that's uh, exactly how she got me to play it. She yeah. Like, hey. and, and I was like, what is it? And she was like, you'll see. <laughs> and, like, oh. and so I sat down and played How Do You Do It? And, it, you know, that game is like literally a minute and a half long, maybe. Right. But right. I played it, and I was just like, holy shit like this is mm-hmm. like this, and I, I was immediately just like this is the kind of perspective that i want to see in games and that i think really aligns with what we're trying to do and so just just like a minute and a half of like i totally get what you're about and i and i and it would be amazing if you were a part of of what we're doing that like that's what it takes you know but like she she's a person that was putting something real out there and then like doing the work to be at shows and be like you should play this mm-hmm. do you want to check this out will you play mm-hmm. my game tell me what you think of it and, like that's the kind of people that you want to bring in if you're lucky enough to have the opportunity to um yeah it's it's an it's a really kind of special thing that you get when you mix great talent with it's it's interesting because people kind of think about it in the game space of like you're doing something special, you're doing something outside the norm, mm-hmm. you're doing this thing that's outside the box. Like no, these are all the people who right. we are around all the time with their experiences and all the games that they think about and play and and have made. Um, it it kind of ushers itself directly into some of the things that are kind of be maybe touchstones in Tacoma, your newest game that should be coming out fairly soon in in within the next uh leap year or not leap year in the next light year <laughs> since, since, since we're talking about space time um 
Uh, and it'll be on Linux, so so C can actually play it again. <laughs> um, Correct. Yeah. I, so I was lucky enough to come by Fulbright, and thank you again for 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 letting me come through and hang out with you and play the game. I played yeah. played played through the whole demo, and was really taken aback with again. Uh, it it, it kind of leads back into the things we just talked about, where games like this, I always feel, come from a place of real grounded space just like gone home did but also they come from places in which the emotional content that you wind up uh kind of going through you leave after you've had that experience however long or short it was that kind of sticks with you Mm -hmm. um and and the beauty of the demo that i played uh last night was that i already even in that small snippet of gameplay came away with things that i was like that is going to be an experience that I've not necessarily had before. So, so if you, if you can give the, the not elevator pitch, I want you to give a longer than elevator pitch for, for Tacoma. <laughs> the um, slow elevator right, pitch. The, 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 the stuck the, in the elevator pitch. pitch. The everybody hit the buttons. Yeah. <laughs> everybody hit the buttons elevator pitch of, of Tacoma. <laughs> for people who, who don't necessarily know what the game is going to be about. Um, so Tacoma is, yeah, it's a, it's a first person story exploration game that takes place on a space station in the year 2088 but it's like a it's a small um kind of remote isolated space station that has a crew of six on it and um so you arrive and your job basically as the player is to effectively make contact with the ai that that is running the station Mm -hmm. and explore the station to find out what happened there and why things are not in the state that's expected. Like basically, you know, on some level you've been sent there in the aftermath of, of some, uh, I guess, mysterious events. And it's like gone home in that you explore the space to find notes and messages and find how the people live their lives. But there's also this real-time element of there's this presence, this computerized presence that was basically there while those events were happening that you're interfacing with. And there's this open question of like, how much does this artificial intelligence know and how much is it willing to tell you and what was its role in what happened? Yeah. So, so you start the game out. You, you, you're in the spaceship and you're walking through. So I, I, I finished the demo. Steve was like, "So what'd you think?" And I was like, "I have things to say." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, first of all, it, it, there's this one, there's this one part." So I, I, we're talking about how it all started, and I know that anytime I'm in any kind of space-based place that is it, that is no longer inhabitable. Yeah, the first place that I always go because I'm a huge fan of Dead Space and things like that, mm-hmm. and like, and like uh, Event Horizon and oh shit like goodness. that. So I'm just like, I'm expecting not monster closets in this game either. But I'm like, I need to go to the med bay. That's where all the bad things happen. <laughs> Everything bad happens in any game in space. You need to go to the med bay to find out where all the things are. I go to the med bay, and I'm sitting through a scene. Where one of the where where basically a doctor is in the room, and mind you, so so the way that the game works is that uh, you don't see physical, you see physical representations of folks that is taken by 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 the AI system. So it's not like um, true to life 
uh, one-to-one representations of the human beings who were there. It's it's more like uh, ciphers of who they who they were. But you can see like body sizes, mm-hmm. and you can see like heights and things like that. Yeah. Um, the general idea is that the the whole station uses this augmented reality system, so it can mm-hmm. you can see like you know messages that have been placed in space. You can see notes that have been left around that are like digitally aligned with the environment, and there are also these moments where the basically like where the crew was and what they were doing and how they were moving all that data was tracked by the system and so mm-hmm. there's this kind of like abstract representation of like oh here's what they where they were and what they were saying and like how they were acting but not like a straight up like oh yeah there's like 3d video constantly on this station or whatever right yeah. right so so you go into the med bay you have this scene play out where there's a doctor who basically is giving the like Oh shit! You're gonna die. <laughs> you, nice. The oh shit! You're gonna die. Speech to a certain to to this to this couple, or people who you don't know if they're a couple, but you know that they're involved. So you know the one, the gentleman who is there, he's like basically, you know, I've gotten the bad news, and 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 the female counterpart is like, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? And it's the the beauty of it is, I was sitting back and after I kind of finished that scene and, and kind of picked who I wanted to necessarily follow. I played the scene back twice, basically. So you, there's a play button, you start the play button and it starts the scene. Um, and I went directly initially to go talk to the couple or just to stand and eavesdrop on the couple. And then I said, well, let me see where the doctor went. So I went through the door that the doctor was going through and I had previously seen this note and it was a note talking about basically like this drug that is keeping people from, I think it was either keeping people up, keeping people up or keeping people from sleeping. I forget exactly which, yeah. which one it was, but you see her go That's into the back room. You can see that she, <laughs> <laughs> I hope they have something that, better that, than that. And uh, <laughs> it's called comp, called competition. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's so so you go and follow the doctor and the doctor basically you can see in her bot in, in the body language because they have this uh uh kind of a placard over their head so you can you can see who they who they are so you can see if people are male or female so she goes into the space and she you can see that her body uh language is one of being distressed and being distraught after she's kind of had this conversation but she goes into this container and takes the drug that was the one that I read about earlier in the scene and it's, it it felt like this, this, uh, this, uh, play that I had seen this performance that I'd seen back in New York all called called sleep no more. Yeah. So it felt like, it felt like being able to see, a, 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 a thing play out, a scene play out, but then also being able to kind of follow, whomever it was that you wanted to eavesdrop and then go back and then because mm-hmm. that the sleep no more basically loops three times during the night so it's like each scene will play out again and you can then pick and choose which people that you want to kind of follow and, and then and hear the stories of did, did you when you when you were thinking about the concepts for this kind of game and when you were talking about this in comparison to gone home which is very much of although both of them are first person experiences it's it's one is seeing through the eyes of the the, the character this one being you know the the eavesdropper to mm-hmm. a certain extent on, yeah. on all these things did you did you have influences of things like that or or other kinds of yeah. television or movies that kind of played into that no definitely um sleep no more in particular is definitely a big um influence on us because i when i lived in boston i was lucky to i i went and saw sleep no more three times uh over the I think it was two times that year, and then I think another time when I went back and visited New York one time. But yeah, like oh, dope, sleep, dope. sleep no more is like a, is a big influence. It was it was very heavily um, 
the, the, the folks at Irrational basically were huge boosters of Sleep No More. Because Sleep No More oh, had okay. actually started in Boston. So they mm-hmm. saw it when it was in its like original run and then Sleep No More went to New York. So I didn't see it till it was in New York. But yeah, it, like what's amazing about that is when I when I went to Sleep No More, I immediately was just like, this feels the most like being in a video game mm-hmm. of anything that I've done in real life before. Because mm-hmm. you're in this space, you're like, you're an autonomous actor that, that you can go wherever you want. You can explore the environment. You can choose characters to follow or you can completely ignore them. You can like mm. look at all these artifacts and, and it felt like, okay, I'm in this like constructed simulated experience. And you know, like they treat you like a ghost. It's like the other people are not supposed to be able to see you. You're an, you're like purely like an active observer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, you know, that was an influence on gone home of being like, Oh yeah. Like that's, mm. That's like part of Sleep No More is about like, oh, you can go through all of the drawers and you can look at notes and you can see what people are writing on the typewriters and all that kind of stuff. But even more so with Tacoma, we wanted to say, okay, augmented reality is part of this future. It's part of this technology. If that allows us not just to have like audio diaries that you purely listen to, but actually be able to say, we're going to not just show you moments from these people's lives like on a screen or like just a, a cutscene that you stand in front of but like sleep no more say it was tracking where all of these people were in the station when this was recorded so you can say two people pass in a hall and they say hi to each other and you're like oh which one of them one of them went that way and the other one went that way i'm gonna see where this guy went mm-hmm. and then like you were saying in sleep no more the the performance loops but if these are, are digitized recordings, we can say, okay, we'll let you follow that guy and see what happened to him and then play it again and see the other side. Mm-hmm. And hopefully over time, like we don't, we don't have this in the demo that you played, but what I, what I really want to do is have stuff where it's like, okay, you start a scene and you see it playing, but then somebody walks through a doorway and that door is locked when you first encounter it. So you can't oh. follow where they went. You can see the other side of it and you're like, okay, I, I know what happened here. And then you explore more of the space and like, you know, effectively get the key to that door and come back and replay it. And now you're like, oh, that's what that guy was doing the whole time. Mm-hmm. And just, I think that what's important about it is the way that it allows the, the story, these like scripted scenes to be conversant with the space that you as a player occupy and make how you navigate and what you pay attention to and what, how you situate yourself inside of that, like an integral part of what it means to you and not just hit the play button and then sit back for, you know, a minute and watch it happen. Um, Because at that point it's like, that just doesn't feel like it, it, it lives up to the potential of what this kind of thing could be used for, you know? Mm So I have a, I have an, question about Tacoma and and yeah. the technology that you guys have, have used um I you know I wasn't fortunate enough to uh to eat tots and go and go see Tacoma like Ka was um, I, I, I assume I assume you ate tots because you're in Portland fuck you guys um, so. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get tots next time right. where are we gonna get tots tied it up uh, but but uh one of the things that I really loved about uh the stuff that I saw was yeah. that even though the setting was was futuristic it was you know it's roughly 70 years in the future 
Um, twenty eighty eight is a is a weird date. Maybe you want to <laughs> talk about why that date was was uh, was chosen um, in a second. But but the the thing that really struck me was the technology that you guys used um, was futuristic, but was grounded in reality. It didn't it didn't just come out of left field. Um, so uh, was it, did you guys spend a lot of time thinking about how you'd get from, you know, how you get from point A to, to Tacoma, um, in, in terms of, in terms of the technology that you guys used and, uh, are, are you, you know, in your, in your heart of hearts, hoping that when Tacoma comes out and it's, and it's the fantastic hit that we all know that it it, it will be. Uh, that people look at some of the technologies that you use and and borrow some of that stuff for real world applications. Well, yeah, I think that I mean, first and foremost, yeah, I think that I was interested in I think in everything that we that we're doing with the game, we're trying to take where we are now and step forward from here to like where might this lead in a couple of generations? Right. And, you know, that's impossible to, like, accurately predict, right. obviously. <laughs> but we can at least say, okay, if right now we live in a world where everybody, you know, in, like, the modern, you know, in the, the ur- in urban life has a smartphone of some sort. And so you're like, I'm walking around, and then I pull out my smartphone, and I have this portal into, like, my digital life. I can look stuff up, or I can, like, see I got an email or whatever. And then you put it back in your pocket, and then you pull it back out, and you kind of, like, switch your, like it seems natural as the technology progresses to say, well, why isn't that stuff just overlaid on your world when you look around? Like, why, why am I not just kind of seeing the, you know, oh, I got a text message. Oh, I can look at that. You know, I can send somebody the, a message while I'm walking around. Or, you know, like, if you can see stuff that's kind of like pointed towards you, like an overlay, you can also see stuff in the world. You know, you could be in a museum and the little museum card, you know, next to the painting could just be a digital augmented reality card that's localized in your own local language or that, you know, you can like hear it, you know, the from uh, in your your AR when you're when you're going around or, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Um, it seems pretty natural to say if the technology was there, that would be a way that people would live their lives just like. Yeah, their reality is augmented with this with these digital elements, um, and so then the question for us becomes: What's our version of that? You know, mm-hmm. what what does that mean for us? Because there's certainly a lot of different interpretations you could have of that, and we really are interested in staying grounded by assuming there's some stuff that won't change that much. You know what I mean? Like assuming, like, I think that still people will want to send each other text messages because you don't always want to be talking out loud. You don't always want to have like a little phone call. You don't want to like be like, Oh, I need to say, Hey, I'm on my way. I got to record like a video. Yeah. Like (laughs) I'm on my way. You know, it's like, okay, people are going to want to be able to say like, Hey, I'm on my way. And you're just walking around, you get a little notification and you're like, Oh, Frank's on his way. You know, like, and, and so I think that's how we walk the line by saying like, yes, it's different than our current world, but there are some things that are stable. You know, it, everything's not just crazy and different and, right. and you would never recognize it. Um, but making it also feel not too contemporary and not too much like, Oh, 
it's still 2015, but we're in space is, is the other side of that. So, you know, it's, it's trying to find that, that balance, but you know, it's like, it's, it's been interesting. Even just, we, we recorded this thing with our friend. Um, uh, there's this like, uh, advice, advice podcast, uh, that, that we did fictionally that it's like, Oh, let's have this little advice podcast. And, and, she'll give advice that'll be about like some of our like futuristic concepts and it'll be a way to get some of them across in like a funny way. And, and we just had her ad lib a bunch of stuff and recorded it. Mm -hmm. And when she would ad lib stuff, it is surprising how quickly someone's just like ad libbing and, and, and trying to put something on tape. And you're like, Oh, that one phrase you said, that's like, so 2015, you know, like, I don't think people are still going to be saying that or like, you just saying like, even being like, Oh yeah, you know, you're like on the internet and it's just like I don't know if people are going to be talking about the internet, right, you know, right, in right, in right. 2088. And so just trying to like having this realization of like, oh, here's this thing that sounds too contemporary. Here's this thing that sounds like it'll be dated or like what do we call the futuristic version of that thing that you're talking about that isn't that? That's a lot of kind of the uh the interesting, I guess, discovery process right. that uh, that you're going through when you're trying to make that stuff feel plausible, you know. Right. right. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I, I wanted to touch on, um, I know I talked a little bit about the, like the lighting in Gone Home and like, and like how mm -hmm. I thought that that kind of really helped set the mood. Now I, I didn't get to play the game yet, obviously, but from all of the mm -hmm. screenshots I've seen, I've been really interested in sort of the discrepancy between sort of the, I guess the standard space station look like, like you're sort of like, you know always and you and your darker colors and the colors used on the projections which are like these bright greens oh, yeah. and bright blues and like bright pinks and i thought that it was a you know it like wasn't something that i was expecting because normally kind of when like you see this, this example in sort of sci-fi it's like either like you know like an outline or like just like a sort of like uh like a princess leia like transmission from r2d2 right, yeah, yeah. um so like uh yeah do, um can you speak a bit about sort of like you know what what your thoughts are on those color differences maybe on like what kind of went into the thought process of uh making you know these sort of sort of like bright happy looking you know, <laughs> things in like the middle of this station where you're kind of wondering if something bad happened right um, well, I mean, some of it is just straight up, like, being able to tell the characters apart, <laughs> you know, because, like, they are, they're not, they're, they are um, abstracted, you know, they don't have facial features, you, you don't see the clothes they were wearing, you kind of have to project that stuff onto them, which is a big part of what we were going for, like, I think you can picture the face that this character is making in your head, based on like the voice acting and how the, the character's moving and everything way better than we can actually put it on screen. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, once you say, okay, we're going to use these like very, um, uh, you know, like simplified characters, relatively speaking, then it, the, the challenge is like, okay, well, how do you know who this is at a glance? And so we're trying to like, like, uh, stack the deck as much as we can where we're like you they've got like their name tag over their head and they're a specific color that also is the color that's like on their name tag projection and all of them have like very different body shapes so you're mm -hmm. like oh okay that's like the tall skinny guy then that's the short stocky woman and that's like the kind of like really petite lady and so forth so you can just kind of be like 
oh, I don't have to like work hard to just even know who I'm looking at. I just know at a glance. Um, but I think that, you know, the, 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 the specific colors that are used, I think that part of it is like, I think something that's interesting and important about, about, uh, how you present that kind of stuff is knowing that the interface, you know, like the, like the, 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 the UI basically like the fictional UI, you know, like the, mm-hmm. the way that these systems would be presented to an end user. If, if this was a real place, they don't know that they're on a spooky <laughs> space station. You know what I mean? Like these things were designed for everyday use. So, you know, even if you're in, even if you're in a horror movie, and you know, you, you somebody opens up their cell phone and they look at it. You know, the text message is still going to have like the goofy emojis in it. You know, it's like that that contrast I think has value. So us thinking not in terms of like, oh, how do we make the visuals match like the the overall tone we're going for, so that's consistent. And more thinking of just like, how would this look if it was just in use every day, yeah. and then that contrast being there just in a, like a natural way. I think that that's probably way more interesting than like, Oh yeah, there's super like corrupted figures that are like glitching out and right. you know, are, are like mm-hmm. dark shadows or something like maybe that, maybe that is cool if it's like a really, you know, horror horror game and you're just trying to lay it on as thick as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but thinking of it basically from the perspective of the people who actually like live in this world, I think is what we're trying to do. Nice. I think, I think one of the, the, the really interesting things that you've done in the space is and when i was playing it you know i was i'm kind of taking note of all those small things you kind of talked about the sizes the shapes and all that stuff but also you know one i have to congratulate you guys because i think that that was one of my favorite parts was the actual like uh faux talk show yeah because they, they were talking because <laughs> they were talking about kind of like again moving from you know our current date to you know the the, the semi far future of how it went from internet dating to AR dating, yeah, and how it went from these small kind of twists that you would put on the the technologies that we use today and to to make it kind of future future proof in some ways. The the second thing that I, that I found really interesting and I really loved was that you have some really amazing voice actors in this game. Mm-hmm. And first of all, you have my my old school internet crush, not internet crush, television crush. Oh. You have Don. You have Don Lewis. Yes. I knew who you were gonna say. Yes. Yo, <laughs> Don Lewis. Sheila is Delisa. Yeah, Delisa. <laughs> and I was like, Yo, Don Lewis is in yeah. this game. Yep. I used to she, have a thing for John Lewis. Don Lewis is so fine. She was, yeah, she was in. Uh, she was in a different world. Yes, and she yes. also has done a lot of um, voice acting. Yeah. She was. In, she was in a bunch of uh, Futurama. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, she, she played. She uh, what's his like, name's wife? She played uh, the Jamaican dude's wife in, in Oh, okay. In, uh, in Futurama. Oh, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I remember what you're talking about. I haven't watched Futurama in a long time, yeah. but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he had a he had the mind control slug on his head. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, she's great. Um, uh, we we have uh, a bunch of people that like it's a good balance of people with like a ton of stage and voice acting experience right. mm-hmm. and like a varied kind of amount of video game experience. Like Don, you know, was on television 
um, like on screen for a long time and, and has also done a bunch of voiceover work. And we are working with um, Randall Park, who yeah. uh, nice. it was on uh, Veep and Fresh Off the Boat yeah. and uh, played uh, Kim Jong Un. Kim Jong Un. But he had never worked on a video game before. Huh. But like we loved him as you know that character on veep and yes. on like the the things that we had seen him in did you um, get him to break dance such... no what <laughs> i didn't know he could... does he break dance yeah he can pop he can pop a little oh shit yeah. all right well we're, we're gonna have to take video of that <laughs> his character in the game it's gonna have to be in the zero g break dance Get those mocap um, balls on them. Tell them to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we're working with TJ Amini, who has a lot more video game experience. He was in like the Uncharted games mm-hmm. as one of the, but he was also on Twenty Four. Like the mm-hmm. thing that was important to us was we wanted people, ideally, who had some voice background, mm-hmm. but it was a lot more important for us to have people that had like a stage background or a screen background because what we did is for all the voiceover that we have so far we recorded it all in in one day and we got all six of the the crew members together and we recorded it on a soundstage Um, oh that's awesome because like these scenes are about the characters sharing space with each other you know it's about like it's about the stuff that happens on stage. It's about the stuff that happens when when the actors can actually like look into each other's eyes and react and like yeah. have energy. And it's not the same thing when you're like, all right, get in the vocal booth and do your side of the conversation. Now you do your side, and like, I mean, it's not like that it can't come off well. But you know, we were inspired by, like, you know, I, I did that podcast with um, Neil Druckmann from Naughty Dog, yeah. and obviously they do um a bunch of like mocap and everything but we've seen their process and the thing that's amazing to me is for all of their like main characters you know all the the story characters in their games even if it's not a highly physical scene even if it's not like they're running and jumping and like you know whatever they're like struggling over a gun or something even if it's just a scene of the of like characters sitting in a car together and talking or whatever Mm -hmm. they get them sitting in the prop car right, and they record right. it that way. Right. Like, because I think that even if it is just, you know, a, a couple of people hanging out near the water cooler talking, the performance of those two actors sharing that scene together and playing off of each other, even if we're like, we aren't taking mocap, like we're recording right. video of it for reference for our animator mm-hmm. to do it all mm-hmm. hand animated. But like, the vocal perform even if all you're taking away from it directly is is the vocal performance, I believe that it's going to be substantially different if if the people are there face to face. So that's what we did for the first round, and it and and we were really happy with how it came out. And there was a ton of camaraderie between all the people that uh, that you know all the 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 actors that were working together. It really felt like by the end of the day, there was just an amazing amount of energy, and people were just really excited to have gotten to to work together. So we couldn't have been happier with, with how that's gone so far. What I'm really excited about is after playing the demo and it speaks to your animators, cause your animators are fucking dope because we've only got one. Wow. Oh, you're, it's you're Noel. Animator, right? <laughs> Noel, Noel, you are fucking dope. This is why <laughs> is because the, again, in that, in that there's, the, there's two scenes that I remember in, in particular. And one again, in that med bay scene, 
there is a really poignant moment and again it's 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 ciphers it's it's like just silhouettes of people and 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 the gentleman puts his hands in the the woman's hands and you see that animation happen and it has weight and it has something to it that you're like oh shit this dude is not going to make it yeah sure and you right. feel that you feel that through the scene and you also feel like there was another one where um uh, you, you you basically the, you go from one platform because it's all zero G and you have these magnetic boots and you kind of fly up into this into this one corridor where you're in the cargo bay and you're in the cargo bay and and there is a something goes wrong and there's a person who is the engineer who is like needing to fix something and there's this kind of quick struggle between not struggle between people but kind of struggle with the equipment and this one uh, character who is uh, kind of like overseeing over this overlook uh, over this like balcony into the, the greater, bigger room. She does a small, really kind of intricate thing with her hands. And she just leans onto the, onto the, the railing. And it's this feeling of, I don't know what to do in this moment. There isn't anything that I can do except for kind of, give some uh, acknowledgement to the other people in the scene and say, you know, well, shit, <laughs> there's not much that I can do here, but I'm feeling this feeling and it's all in her body weight and it's all in the way that she animates and it's all in those small things. So it gives me this kind of, um, this this hope. And I know that, you know, with this small snippet of, of stuff that I got to play, that that continuing in a greater, longer narrative is going to be such a really dope experience. Like, I don't think of it as far as gameplay, when I think of it, I think of it in terms of the word scene. Right. Yeah. And it's, and it's like in the word scene, it is a totally different kind of connotation to that. Um, I, I know you guys had some other stuff. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to kind of uh, go back to, this is a, a, a gotcha moment. Maybe Steve, um, I want to, I want to go back to, um, you know, a, a lot of the things that you've been talking about um, with with regards to Tacoma and its and its technology has uh, there's been, you know, a consistent buzzword, augmented reality. Um, the game is coming out on the Xbox One, um, a Microsoft product. It's coming out on PC, Microsoft stuff. Um, there is a Microsoft product that is on its way into the future called HoloLens, which also uses augmented reality. Um, have... Have has uh, Hololens made its way into the Fulbright Studio? Have you guys been using <laughs> I, it? I haven't got I haven't gotten to use one. Okay. Uh, I, I saw the I saw how they did the uh, the crazy Minecraft stuff at the right. E three press conference, right. and like that's yeah. that was really wild. Right. Um, it, it's interesting because you know yeah we've we've had good contact with the with the folks at Microsoft on the like indie game team. And, you know, they've they've checked out our demo and everything and they're like, yeah, you know, like we can actually do a bunch of that with HoloLens like right now. I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I think that the biggest thing for me is like, I think it would be really interesting potentially to do something very focused because I feel like you could have that cool experience of feeling like you're in the room with the characters or feeling like, oh yeah, I can like go up and like use the the interface to like read messages and stuff. Right. I think the big challenge of all augmented reality and virtual reality stuff that's out there is just like 
navigation you know like right. there there isn't a good version of that really mm-hmm. where you're like a character that's walking around in an environment because you're still standing still right you know right, I mean? right, right right so i think right. i think there could be a really cool maybe like you know like hololens demo you know like so, something that would be awesome to do like at a trade show or something you know it's sure. like a put on the hololens mm-hmm. oh you're in tacoma Right. But I think it would, I th- like I think that would be really cool. But I think it, it think it would work best as like a very controlled experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But again, haven't used the technology. Can't necessarily say you know what everything that it that is capable of. Right. Um, but uh, it it is cool to know that people who do know the technology well are like, oh yeah, that that AR stuff that you're doing. That actually makes sense. Like that's something we could build. So, you know what I mean? So because that's not where we started from. That was their impression after they saw what we had come up with. Nice, nice. Uh, so, so we probably won't see uh, Hololens being uh, sold with uh, Tacoma as a as a pack <laughs> as, as the pack game. <laughs> I would be surprised. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have a a follow up on the uh, tech angle. So yeah, um, you know. I feel like there's some really um, courageous choices made with like the space elevator, which is something that I've read about for long periods of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and the um, AI choice. Um, my question is, do you sort of come up with these, the story points and the general narrative first, and then look for pieces of technology, whether fiction or nonfiction to fit that? Or, or 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 like do you start with I want some science that's kind of plausible and then kind of write the story around that um I think in this case I mean it's it's all a dialogue you know it's like we wanted to say all right we want to make a space station let's we want to know we want to make this 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 game that's about like people that would live on this space station let's how how far off this should this be i think it should be um maybe a couple generations like we don't want it to be 20 years from now because there wouldn't be a space station like the one we want to build but we don't want it to be like 300 years from now so okay so it's like 75 years maybe something like that okay um and then the question from that point becomes like why is there a space station in the year 2088 who built it what is its purpose why is it where like where is it you know because the space station it could be like orbiting mars it could be orbiting the earth like in our case we put it at lagrange point one between earth and the moon so it's like okay servicing maybe you know spacex and like private space tourism is like a thing now maybe two generations from now you can like go to the moon on like a you know commercial like vacation flight and that's what the the station is uh, is in support of and then you know you start asking the more practical questions of like well how would people get there are people just like taking rockets from the surface for that like i don't think so it's pretty dangerous well there's this whole like idea of a space elevator and then you can just like ride up the space elevator into zero g and launch off of that without having to break uh, the atmosphere and you know like just sort of digging down into like what do we think is a plausible set of explanations for why <laughs> for why this thing that we want to build might actually exist and then all that stuff starts feeding back into like ideas that you have for the story you're like oh we have this space elevator we have this company we have this you know this this concept of ar what if this one character yeah like was trying to get into ar dating okay well that's like a thing that the story point came out of the technology mm. so i think it all just kind of like it it 
it, it goes in this big loop of all the parts talking to each other. Mm. But at the end mm-hmm. of the day, the most important thing for us is for it to like all hang together from our point of view and be like, yeah, I think all of those things could actually make sense if the future turned out this way. Nice. Right. Nice. Um, so, so I'll, I'll say this to, to kind of, to wrap things up um, is what I love about what you and your crew does is if we're going to, we're going to use some, some old t- tech to kind of bring in the new tech of what Fulbright is bringing <laughs> to the game. Um, and, and I say the best thing that I would say that you guys do is RSS is that you, is that you make real shit simulators awesome. <laughs> because the people who are in your games are awesome and they have real things going on. That has, it was a small snippet of, of a conversation that was just like really grounded in reality. where It was basically just like, Hey, I wish you would come home for dinner yeah. or come, come hang out for dinner. And it was like, Hey baby, I can't. It's just, things are happening. Shit is going on. And, and, it, and, it, and those small things that are, that are going to happen in Tacoma, uh, are going to be the things that wrap that narrative around um, all of all of us, and then also kind of bring um, everyone into that world in a very specific way. Again, in a way that hopefully we haven't seen before, and also will kind of uh, bring some success to that game in a way that it deserves. Because I can tell already from the small demo that I played that I'm really going to enjoy it when it comes out. So, <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean that's that's what we want to be able to do. You know, it's like with Gone Home. We set it in a very specific place and time in a very like residential setting. It's like where people that, you know, that that have lived through a lot of the same stuff that we might have like could have lived and that that's very direct. And so when we're making a sci-fi game that takes place in an environment like none of us have ever been to, what mm-hmm. we want to be able to do is like make the humanity of the people that live in that place recognizable, even right if it's in an environment that's totally outside of our own experience to just say like, even though I'm, I'm, I'm on this constructed facility in the isolation of space, I can recognize that these are individuals that I could know and that I can care about and that people are, are just people, you know, in, in any situation, giving you access to, to those individuals is what we're trying to do. So I'm glad that that's, I'm glad that's already coming across and what you got to play. Absolutely. And if you want to sing Ordinary People by John Legend, you totally can. <laughs> um, um, so, we're, so we're about to get up out of here. Steve, again, thank you so much for rocking with us and coming on the show. It was a long time coming. I'm happy that we finally got that to go down. Absolutely. Thank uh, you so much uh, for having me. Absolutely. If you want to share out any information, any any Twitter handles, any uh, competitions that you might be in. Uh, if you want to give any of that information out to, to the folks at home, we would love for you to do so yeah. uh, right now. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm just at Fulbright, F-U-L-L-B-R-I-G-H-T. Um, or you can find out more about Tacoma at Tacoma-game.com. Word, word, and word. See, we know that you are the master of all social media business. Can you please share that with the rest of Bukaga? I can. Before I do, uh, first off, I want to thank Steve uh, for coming on. Oh, yes, uh, you, yes, yes. you are a, a uh, dope individual. Um, <laughs> I can't. I can't wait for Fulbright's third game, a kart racer. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it'll so, be just the most emotionally moving kart race, right? <laughs> the most emotional kart race I've ever experienced. Um, <laughs> um, so our social media business is as follows: first and foremost, our uh, wonderful 
minister of no finance, Sharif Jackson, can be found at all social media and all social media platforms at Sharif Jackson. Uh, make sure you check out on Tuesdays Operation Cubicle, his uh, other podcast that he cheats on us with. Um, that's actually it's his, that's his Sorry. that's we're his we're his side podcast we're his side chick <laughs> and uh, side piece. yeah we're his side piece and his and his and his uh, his main his main boo is uh, is Operation Cubicle uh, the show he does with J P Fairfield uh, make sure you check that out every every Tuesday um, and uh, check out Gaming Looks Good and check out Science Looks Good uh, check us out on Twitter. Um, we are uh, Khalif Adams at Kajakins and Cicero Holmes at Stubby Stan. Uh, the show is you can find everywhere on all social media platforms if you look for Spawn on Me. Um, and also you can go to uh, to listen to the show. You can go to ESN.FM slash Spawn on Me or go directly to our site if you want to contact us or see other stuff about us at SpawnOn.me. Uh, make sure you check us out on iTunes and Stitcher and all the other places. Uh, subscribe, like, favorite, uh, share, leave reviews, rate, <laughs> do those things. Beatbox. Make them happen. All that shit. Yes, all that shit. All that shit. All that. All that. All that. Right. All that. <laughs> take it. Take it. Do it. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, make it happen. We love you guys. Word. Oh, and, uh, you know, subscribe to our, uh, you want to help us out, I, you know, um, Give me some voice lessons. Um, get us some more equipment. Um, go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash spawn on me. And, uh, you know, please contribute. A dollar, do it. So uh, I need some yeah. biscuits. Keep, keep, the, keep the podcast alive. That is correct. Do your part. Uh, yes. yes. Word, basically. Right. I don't want to be on the, on, on the street. Right. Right. <laughs> it's, it's real cold in right. the D. Um, <laughs> so, so thank you all for, for listening to our show. My alter conf... Uh, talk is now up on the internet it's on youtube it's on the confreaks page and i'll send out a link as well so you can check out all the stuff that we did with alter that i did with AlterConf. uh you'll be able to finally see that and worth thank you so much for Kago, for rocking with us this week we had an amazing show we love you guys we thank you so much for listening to us every week and we will say peace thanks again peace out. Hey. <laughs>